I have to a confession. I have this is we're supposed to have favorites or not, but this is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Ephesians. We're not going to. There's no way we can plumb the depths of it, but I want to bring up an issue that at times over the years has troubled me, and it's the repetition of the phrase to the praise of His glory, to the praise of the, His glory, to the praise of His glory. Three times repeated in these few verses, the beginning of Ephesians. All because of what God has done for us. The response should be that we would praise His glory. But if I do something for you, even if it's a wonderful something, even if it's a a good something, even if it's a helpful something, but the purpose for which I do it is so that you'll turn around and praise me, is that that good? If the purpose of me doing what I do for you is so that you'll pat me on the back and say, good job, is there something sneaky about that? Does that come across as a little bit selfish? And so over the years, I've asked myself this question, is God selfish? We read this passage. He does what He does to the praise of the glory, to the praise of the glory of His grace. He does what He does to the praise of His glory. He does what He does in verse 14 to the praise of His glory. Is He selfish? Is He just this big guy in the sky who's given us these rules and then manipulated things where we're now as children only for the purpose that we would turn around and say, Hey, God, you're really good. Well, before we can answer that question, we need to answer another question. What is His glory? What does it mean? We say we praise His glory. What does that mean? What is His glory? Well, uh, glory is a word that, that originally, or its root meaning is, is heavy. Um, and it refers to, uh, at least in the Old Testament, we're talking about people, kind of who they are. Uh, people's glory or their name or their character. So what is God's glory? The end of Ezekiel chapter 1, there's this vision that Ezekiel sees uh, of God. It's described in lots of language, but the idea is that it's bright and shining. There's this radiance that goes out from God. It's described as His glory. It's light. It's emanating from Him. Similar thing in, in Revelation 21, if you want to flip over. Bear with me. Beginning in verse 10, John writes, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone. This glory was brilliant. There was something about it that shone out. We skip down to verse 22, same chapter. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb or its temple and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it for the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the Lamb. Old Testament, New Testament talks about God's glory as that which shines forth, gives light, described as... 
radiance. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I'll be quite honest, I haven't read that very carefully over the years, I guess. I've always thought in my mind the heavens declare the glory of God was sun, moon, and stars. Really just moon and stars, nighttime. Wow, that's brilliant. Not that it's not that, but the vast majority of the next few verses talk about the sun rising and giving light and heat to everything. God's glory is is described in Psalm 19 as the sun, that which enlightens everything, gives heat to everything, gives energy to everything. It's that all-penetrating thing that drives out darkness. That's God's glory. So what is God's glory? Well, first of all, it's His radiance. His shining forth, His brightness, that thing which penetrates everything else. But it's more than that. It's not just that. It's more than that. Because Ezekiel didn't just see bright lights... He saw something. He saw an image. He saw what he thought was a man. And we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, talking about Jesus. He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. Ultimately, the glory of God is the Son And so when we read in Ephesians to the praise of His glory, it might not be a bad idea to to read to the praise of the Son, to the praise of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know that? We read in in John's Gospel several interesting statements. In John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, Jesus turned water into wine for the poor bridegroom who had run out. Jason just got married, right? What if it... 5.30, everything was gone. The food was gone. Drink was gone. Would he have been embarrassed? Would would everybody have left? Would the party have been cut short? But Jesus shows up and makes sure that not only does the party not get cut short, it's the best. And there's an abundance of it. Literally hundreds of gallons. We're not going to stop the party because someone miscalculated. I'm going to give you an abundance. That's what I'm like. John chapter 11, standing in front of a tomb. What are we going to do, Jesus? Well, just wait. You're going to see the glory of God. What was that? We saw a guy walk out of a tomb. There was no radiance to him, but what was it? Well, it was the giving of life. And the Son did that. He gave life to Lazarus. We saw the glory of God. We saw death turned into life. Ultimately, in a few chapters later, we saw the Son of Man glorified. His death on the cross. The best image of glory that we have, that we are capable of even imagining, is the cross. So what is the glory of God? It's the tangible manifestation of His character. What's His character like? We talked about that last week. From eternity past, God is Trinity. We said last week, if there is no Trinity, you have no salvation. It's that loving relationship that has existed from eternity past, and only because that exists is He able to give because He's been giving from eternity past. That's why 
Paul says in Ephesians, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. If there is no Trinity, there's no choosing you because there's no loving relationship. God is just happy and content being God. But because God is Trinity, because He's three in one, because there's a loving relationship, He naturally is giving. His desire is to glorify the Son. The Son's desire is to glorify the Father. The Spirit's desire is to do what the Father says and glorify the Son and the Father. And so naturally, the glory of God is giving. It's selfless. We see that also in the very first time that glory is mentioned in Scripture, Exodus chapter 16. God tells Moses, just wait. In the evening you're going to see that I'm the one that delivered you from Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. And that evening they saw the pillar of, clap, pillar of fire, and they said, there's the glory of the Lord. That's true. It was this emanating, shining brilliance of God. That's true. But in the morning, they said, what is it? It was this stuff that showed up on the ground that for the next 40 years would be sustenance to them. It would feed them. It would keep them alive. It would remind them that God is always giving. It was the bread of life, which Jesus said about himself in John chapter 6, 2,000 years later. True, the pillar of cloud was glory, but that white coriander tasting like stuff that they said, what is it, manna, that was the glory of God. Nothing more, nothing less. That which gives life to God's people is His glory. And that is what we are to praise, that He gives us life. He's not taking anything for Himself. He is giving God is not selfless. He is, God is not selfish. He is selfless. He gives and He gives and He gives. And when we praise His glory, we are praising His giving. We read through that in this first chapter. He gave that we might be redeemed, that we might be forgiven, that we might know the mystery of the two-in-one Jews and Gentiles made together, that we might be given an inheritance, that we might be reminded that we are adopted, we're sons and daughters. Only because He gave, only because He gave, only because He gave. Very specifically, next question, how does He manifest His character? He manifests His character that He redeems a people for Himself. From the beginning, with Abraham, that was the goal, right? Through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that was his purpose from the beginning, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through sending his people into slavery in Egypt, that they might become a people, unmixed with the Egyptians, unmixed with the pagan culture of the land where he was going to bring them through the law, through Moses on Mount Sinai, showing them what his character's like, who he is, what he's about. The idea was to redeem a people for himself, that they would be a witness and a light to the nations, which they failed to do. But even in their failure, he continued to send prophets and priests and kings to them to remind them who they were and whose they were. 
They continued to rebel. He put them into captivity, promising, I'm going to bring you back because I'm the one who keeps my promises. It's not about you, Israel. It's about me. I promised. I promised your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you would be my people. And despite how much you don't want to be my people, I'm going to redeem you. And he brought them back into the land. He carried on the line of David, even when it appears that it was dead and gone and over. He redeems a people for himself. But if we start with Abraham, we can get ourselves in trouble. Because if we start with Abraham, then we begin to think, maybe this is just an idea that God had. And if this is just an idea that God had at that time, might he have another idea? And might he finally get fed up? And might he finally become tired? And might he have a different idea for a different set of people? And maybe I'm going to be left out in the cold. And that's when we come back to Scripture and we see that it was done before the foundation of the world. God is not capricious. He's planned this from eternity. Matthew 25, 34. He separated the the sheep from the goats, the right hand from the left hand, and He says, Come and inherit a kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. This idea has been in God's mind. Is this not working anymore? Oh, it's not working anymore. Someone should have said something. It's just sort of dead. So you want to move it along this? I've hit it about a million times and it quits working. We'll check the batteries. Um, no, back up. Back up. One more. That's probably close enough. <laughs> If it hadn't been part of his character, then we'd be left to wonder. What Ephesians 1 tells us, reminds us is, this is God's plan from before creation. You're not an afterthought, you're not a second thought, you're not a third thought. God's redemption of his people through his son is the first thought because he's giving, because he's loving, because he's kind, because he's Trinity and not a mono one without diversity. So why does my redemption bring Him glory? That's a question we need to ask. Why does my redemption bring Him glory? Very simply because it changes me from selfish to selfless. It changes me from someone who builds my own kingdom to someone who's interested in God's kingdom. Right? It changes me from the character of who I was into the character of who God is. It reveals His character. The question is, is that just a one-time occurrence? How can I continue to bring God glory? My salvation brings Him glory necessarily because I've been changed, because I've become like Him in one sense. But the way I read Ephesians is that this needs to continue to happen. It's present tense. It's ongoing to the praise of His glory. These things need to continue to happen. So how do I do that? 
Well, John 15, 8 says, well, back up. He talks about abiding in Christ. He talks about the only way that we can bear fruit is by abiding in Christ. And he says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So we continue to bring God glory by bearing fruit. Well, what is bearing fruit? It's the next question. What does that mean? In the context of John 15, it's, it's discipleship, it's growing in Christ, but it's also abiding in God. It's allowing His Spirit to do what you cannot do. It's trusting in Him every moment of every day for what He's asked you, called you to do. It's, it's you depending upon Him to shine forth who He is, to be Christ to the world, to be loving, to be selfless, to be giving. That's what bearing fruit looks like. Bearing fruit, um, it's, a, it's a reproduction. Are you reproducing Jesus Christ in you and in others? So very specifically, here are three things, three questions for you to ask. Every day of your life, from here until you meet Him in eternity, these three things should be in your mind. Number one, are you exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit? You can't say that I'm bearing fruit if you're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we are abiding, those things will continually shine out of us more and more. When we are stuck on one or more of those things, it is simply because we are not abiding in Christ. We're not allowing His life to shine through us. We've believed a lie. We're trusting in our own self. We're trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That doesn't work. It is a daily reminder to ourselves that if I do not depend upon God, if I do not rest in Him, if I do not allow Him, believe Him that He wants to live through me, that I've indeed been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Second, are you loving those around you? Your enemies and your friends. People that you like, people that you don't like. People that you're scared of, the people that you're friends with. Are you loving those around? Because that's what God is. He's love. His love is always outward focused. He's not selfish. He's selfless. He gives to us when we are sheep, dirty, dumb, and defenseless. When we're unkind to one another, when we don't care about each other, when we thumb our nose at Him, He loves us. Very evident in the cross. The God of the universe, the creator of all that we see and all that we are, died so that we could be into His family. And for us to be to the praise of His glory, we should also be like that. We should love those around us. Are you loving those around us? That means are you sacrificially giving of yourself for somebody else? That will look different for all of us. Some, for some of us, that's something we need to work on in our families. For some of us, something we need to work on in our neighborhood, in our jobs. And I confess sometimes that's difficult. Because there are people that rub you the wrong way. There are people that have hurt us. There are people that, that have done things that they shouldn't have done, and we are called to love them anyway. And that takes, again, a dependence upon Christ. Third, and finally, are you seeking the redemption of others? Because that's God's purpose from eternity past. He sought the redemption of His people. And so are we taking up that mantle as part of His people, His 
character, his children, are we seeking the redemption of others? Are you praying for the lost? Are you willing to equip yourselves with what it means to share the gospel with someone? Do you know His Word well enough that you can interact with someone? And are you willing to be a part of people's lives who don't know Him? Very simply, that's what it means to be to the praise of the glory of His grace. Are we bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Are we loving those around us? Are we seeking the redemption of the lost? And when we do that as individuals and as a body, then we are to the praise of His glory. His Son is magnified in us. The world sees God for who He actually is and not who sometimes we make Him out to be when we defame His name by our actions. Let that be a challenge, but also an encouragement that God desires to do that through you. And He's equipped you through the power of His Spirit to do that in a way that brings Him glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word and the truth that is in it. God, I pray that You would help us to continue to meditate on that passage, that we might know You better, more fully, more completely. And God, we ask that You would be glorified in us, that Your Son would be magnified, and that He would shine through us as clay pots, that the brilliance and the radiance of the truth of who You are would be evident in our lives. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.